<clears throat> Thank you all of you for being here this morning. What an opportunity that we have every time we come through these doors to enter into the presence of God. It is an opportunity that I don't ever want to take for granted. I have taken it for granted. I have esteemed it lightly. But we ought not do that. The presence of the Lord is a very potent, very powerful place to be. And the presence of the Lord is where we receive not only wisdom and direction and guidance, but we receive healing and deliverance, salvation, answers to our, our situations, answers to our prayers. Those things that we struggle with, those things that we wrestle with in, in fear and doubt, the presence of the Lord is the place to let those things go. God can be our assurance, our strength. Amen. Every time we enter into the presence of the Lord is an opportunity. It's a privilege. I am so thankful for him. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read verses 25 through 29. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. The Bible tells us this. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Amen. We'll preach for a few minutes on this topic. God's salvage yard. God's salvage yard. We've prayed, we've worshipped, we're expecting awesome things of the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated. I found a few short stories or quotes that would serve to illustrate uh, the focus of our message this morning. As my grandfather rested in his hospital bed this evening, desperately fighting pancreatic cancer, he squeezed my hand tight and said, Promise me, no matter how good or bad you have it, you will wake up every morning thankful for your life. Because every morning you wake up, someone somewhere else will be desperately fighting for theirs. It's something so simple and important that I never valued until now. In the final decade of his life, my grandfather woke up every single day at 7 a.m., picked a fresh wildflower on his morning walk, and took it to my grandmother. One morning, I decided to go with him to see her. 
And as he placed the flower on her gravestone, he looked up at me and said, I just wish I had picked her a fresh flower every morning when she was still alive. She really would have loved that. Earlier today, in the last few hours of her life, my mom told me her only regret was that she didn't appreciate every year with the same passion and purpose that she had in the last two years after she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I've accomplished so much recently, she said. If only I had known, I would have started sooner. Amen. We all of us, as we go through life, experience regrets. And the older we get, the more it seems that we have. They build up and they accumulate because we've had an opportunity to make more mistakes. We've said and done things that we wish in retrospect we'd have never said or done. We say things, we do things, and we do our best to apologize, to make things right, but we can't ever take those words back. We can't ever undo those things that we did. They're done. They're settled. And all we can do now is do our best to make up for it. We've left things undone or unsaid that we really should have done or said. I've heard stories about uh, children or, or young adults. They can't say goodbye to their mom or their dad lying on a hospital bed. It's just too hard. Too many things in the past. And then they pass away and instantly... They're sorry that they didn't say goodbye. They're sorry that they didn't spend just a few more minutes with their mom or dad. But now it's too late. They can never redo that. And so, from then on, we have a regret. Something we wish we'd have done but didn't do. Something we wish we'd have not done, but we did. And our regrets, if we're not careful, can build up until they become a monstrous testament to the fact, as we see it, that we are worthless. I've done so many things wrong, I've made so many mistakes, it's too late now. It's just too late. Why even bother? Every choice I make is wrong. Everything I touch breaks. It's useless. I'm useless. All of us, I think, have been there at one point or another. We get to a unique spot in our lives or a late night when we're alone in the, in the room, everyone else is in bed, and we start thinking about things. And uh, as a parent especially, I've been able to look back. I'm, I'm kind of at that point in life now. My kids are almost grown or have grown. And I start looking back at things that, how I raised my kids. Did I do a good job? Did I do things right? Did I, did I do right by them? God entrusted those people to me. They entrusted me with, God entrusted me with four children. And, can I give a good account on that day? Can I stand before God and say, I did everything right, I did the best I, according to what you, you told me? No, I can't. 
I can't stand before God and say, I did everything right. I made mistakes. In moments of frustration and and even anger, I said things that I later regretted. I let situations go where I should have stepped in and said something. Opportunities I had to to encourage or to to edify, and I, I, I didn't take those. Opportunities that I should have left alone to correct or waited until later, but I jumped on him right away in the heat of the moment. And so as we look back on our lives and we, we examine things, we see all kinds of things that had I the opportunity, I would do again. I would I would ask for a do-over on those things. Do things differently. Make different choices. Say different things. Don't say things at all. It would be nice if this person today could go back in time 20 or 30 years and talk to that young man. And explain how things ought to be. Explain how things should work. These are the things that you ought to be doing. Don't worry about these things. In a few years, you're not even going to be interested in those things. Don't spend time on them. Dude, focus on this. Focus on the will of God. Focus on uh, reading scripture, memorizing scripture. Focus on Bible studies. Focus on, focus on the plan of God for your life. Don't worry about all this extraneous stuff over here. I could I could tell him how to be a better parent, how to be a better husband. I could tell him all kinds of things, but I'll never be able to, and neither will you. What we've done, what we've said, the choices we made, they're set in stone now. We can't undo those. We can't take them back. Have you ever felt like you frustrated the plan of God for your life? I have. I've done enough wrong things now where that's just not an option anymore. That's just not available to me anymore. So whatever plan B is, God, let's just start working toward that. If you're there this morning, you have not frustrated the plan of God. You haven't. There was a, uh, there's a guy I knew in the army, Sergeant Fritz. Yeah, he was German. (laughs) Imagine that. Well, this guy, he uh, he had a hobby I thought was pretty cool. He bought this old, burnt-out, rusted frame of a vehicle. That's all he bought, the frame. 
and he started working on it. He was going to build a, a whole car out of this frame. And uh, it took him a few years, but uh, I mean, he, he got the frame ready, he re-drilled stuff and put the wiring harness in, and I mean, he did everything. Rebuilt an engine, put that in. Brother DeMuth, you'd have been, you'd have been proud of this guy. I don't, I don't think he had any experience either. But he just kind of, you know, tinkered with it and puttered around with it here and there. And eventually, after a few years, he got the thing up and running. It looked like death standing on the corner. But it was running. It was running. It was street legal. He got it licensed and everything. So, and we were like, dude, that's, that's pretty cool, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to write in it. <laughs> it looks, I'm proud of you. you. You did a good job there. But, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't much to look at, but it worked. There were some people in the Bible that, uh, they kind of remind me of that. God, of course, does a much better job repairing us, restoring us. Uh, he makes us brand new. He makes us perfect. But there were a few people in Scripture that uh, they had some regrets, too. They did some things that, in retrospect, they probably would rather have not done. If we look at the life of King David, King David was a man after God's own heart. We find all kinds of examples of good things that David did. Examples that we ought to emulate in David's life. But even King David, the man after God's own heart, even he made some really stupid mistakes. He did some stupid things. Not the least of which was Bathsheba. He knew better. He murdered Uriah by sending him to the front in battle on purpose, for the purpose of him dying. And he committed adultery with his wife. Looking back on that and what he suffered because of it, he would probably take that back. When he brought the Ark of the Covenant back from Kirjath-Jerim, he sought counsel from elders, he sought counsel from the Lord. Everything was a go, everything was a green light. Yes, this is the, this is the will of God, let's do this. So when they started to uh, kind of tumbled a little bit, uh, Uzzah put his hand out and God smote him dead, God killed him. David's reaction was kind of interesting. He was angry. And he was afraid. And so, he reacted poorly in the first place. But it's interesting, as an aside, when we get into situations like this, we're in the perfect will of God. We're following the plan of God. And something awful happens. God, what's going on? I'm doing what you told me to do. Like Joshua, going against Ai. They were the perfect will of God. They were going to take it. But they were beaten back. 
What's going on? Obviously, God changed his mind, or, or, or God is reneging on his promises. Something's wrong here. No, maybe we should just look at... Let's look at me first. Let's check that out and make sure that's... If we look at David, David did it wrong. The Kohathites were supposed to handle the ark. Uzzah wasn't a Kohathite. So he did it wrong. God corrected his error. God will correct our error. Sometimes... God just gives us a general direction and, and however we get there, we get there. Other times, God gives us a very specific path and He wants us to follow that very specific path. If He gives you leeway, fantastic. Take the leeway, but get where God wants you to go. If He gives you very specific directions, follow the directions. David felt it necessary to take a census. That was against the plan of God. He didn't take a census for any good reason. He was taking a census to satisfy the pride of his heart. Look at how big my kingdom is. And God corrected that error. His handling of Amnon's rape of his half-sister Tamar. He had a bit of uh, a dysfunctional family situation going on. Uh, And uh, this is something he didn't do that he should have done. He should have stepped in and taken care of the situation. But knowing about it, he chose to completely ignore it. Things that, in the moment, seem like really good choices. Like things that we should do. But after they're done, and the consequences come, like, why was I so dumb? Why was I so ignorant? And you begin to regret. Peter. Peter had... One recorded mistake, really, but it was a big one. It was a big one. He betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, not once, but three times. After swearing up and down that he would never deny him. That's, that's the icing on the cake there. Though all others deny you, all not deny you. Peter, you just haven't been in the right situation yet. He denied him three times. And afterwards he went out and wept bitterly. Judas made a similar error. His response was different, however. Both Peter and Judas did pretty much the same thing. They both betrayed Jesus. But whereas Peter repented, asked God to forgive him, Judas couldn't. Judas let the regret and the guilt 
take him. And not being able to bear it, not being able to deal with it, he took his own life. Regrets build up to the point where sometimes people can't see any other way out. They've done so many wrong things. And it 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 can eat at you. It can get to you. It did with Judas. The regrets that people have are real. The regrets that that end up slamming us in the face at just the right time are real. We did those things. We didn't do those things. But we need to understand something else. The people that God chooses to work with and to work through are not perfect. A lot of times they're not even very talented people. We read in our scripture text that he chooses the weak things and the base things, the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? So that no flesh would glory in his presence. We understand that when when I have a natural ability in something and I'm really good at it, I don't need God. I can do that all on my own. When it's something I have no clue, like that, I would need God for that. There are people, you know, and if I practiced for 20 years, I I could become functional, I could become good. I have no natural talent or ability to do that. But all of us, we have... We have stuff that we're good at, stuff that we really enjoy doing, and, and we, have, we can excel at those things. And it's those things probably that God is not going to use you in uh, for this reason, that he wants to get the glory. He can't get the glory if I'm doing it, because I'm doing it. But if God is doing it through me, He receives all the glory. And when God does it through me, it is perfect. It's powerful. It's effective. We talked this morning about spiritual things bringing about natural consequences. And again, in my own ability, I can do some natural things. But I can't do anything spiritually. I can't affect anything spiritually without the Spirit of God. But when God works through me, when I'm co-laboring with God, then great things happen. Spiritual things happen. Understanding that these regrets that we have are because we are human beings. God will take our regrets just like He'll take everything else. God will take our doubts, our fears, 
He'll take everything, everything that we'll give him, every weight and every sin that doth so easily beset us. He'll take it from us, and he can restore those things. He can make those things good again. In God's salvage yard, things are made perfect. When I start doing things on my own, when I start making decisions based on what I think is best, that's when the regrets start to pour in. Because I, not, a lot of times I'm just not capable of making a good decision. Especially in the heat of the moment. When I'm in the middle of something intense and my emotions are way up here, Good luck making a good decision then. You'd be better off just making a decision and then deciding to do the exact opposite. You'd probably be better off that way. But that's when the regrets come in. That's when the wouldas and shouldas and couldas start rolling in. And I start feeling like, yep. I blew it again. But if I take those to God, He restores me. We all have this hope. We all have regrets. We all have things that we wish we wouldn't have done. Things that we should have done but didn't. We all have them. But rather than look back on them and, and, and be sorry about them and, and fret over them, and start to feel self-pity. What we should rather do is take them to God in prayer. He can restore those things. He can make those things right. I don't know how, but He does. Somehow He can work these things out and make them right again. He can take ridiculous and horrible situations and flip them around and, and turn them into something wonderful. I don't know how he does it, but he does that. That's what he does. That's what God does. Peter, King David, despite all of their failings, he used them mightily. God used them wondrously. God receives the more glory when he does mighty things through broken and weak vessels. He does. It's his desire to use each and every one of us, wherever you're at. Whatever talents and abilities God has given you or hasn't given you. Whatever resources he's given you or hasn't given you. He wants to use you right where you're at, right now, today. He chose you. He created you on purpose. On purpose. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're supposed to be here. And you're supposed to be here in this place in this time. That's what God ordained. Why did God choose Israel? Why did He separate Israel unto Himself? Well, let's look at why he didn't choose Israel. It wasn't because they were more numerous than the surrounding nations. 
It wasn't because they were richer. It wasn't because they were more powerful. The Bible says one thing about it. Because God chose to place his love there. God chose to love him. God chose to place his name there. Because God chose to. They were the weakest nation. They had no idea how to fight a war. They had little resources of their own. God had to keep feeding them every day. They had nothing really of their own. They had, they had the baubles of Egypt. You can't eat a diamond necklace. But God used that weak and broken people to do awesome things. He worked through that nation. Despite all of their rebellion, despite all of their unbelief, God worked through that nation miraculously. And He did awesome things. The surrounding nations were scared to death of Israel. When they came across Jordan, the harlot that they met said, all of our mighty men, their strength has failed them. They're scared to death of you guys. They're scared to death of your God. We've heard what God did for you at the, at the Red Sea. We, we heard what God did, did for you in Egypt. And we're done. We can't fight that. They didn't know that. They sent the 12 spies over, and they were scared to death. The spies were scared, except for Joshua and Caleb. They had no idea. But God used Israel, not because they were mighty, but because they weren't. That's exactly why he chose them. Because God could work through them miraculously, supernaturally. Why did he choose Peter? Peter was he was a fisherman. There were a bunch of scribes and Pharisees he could have chosen. Much smarter people. Wouldn't they have served God's purpose better? Paul was around at the time. Saul could have chose him right away. Why didn't he choose him? He chose a dumb fisherman. A tax collector. Ignorant and unlearned men, they called them. But God could work through ignorant and unlearned men. God could do something awesome through that, that kind of a person. Why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? Well, don't be offended. But, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we just don't have a lot to offer God. We just don't. I'll tell you what I do have to offer God is my regrets, my fears, my sin, all my baggage. I got all kinds of stuff to offer God. Nothing good, nothing usable. That's where God comes in. The usable part comes from God. The strength 
and the might comes from God. That's why he chose us. Because he wants no flesh to glory in his presence. If we understood the majesty, the glory of God, that would probably mean a little bit more to us. That no flesh should glory in his presence. The idea that a being so powerful and so holy And I come into his presence and start bragging about all the stuff I've done. All the ability that I have. It seems a little bit ludicrous. I would rather that God would just somehow get me out of the way and work through me his purpose, his plan. When God restores us, when God buys us off the salvage lot, there's not a lot there. But he cleans us up, and he puts things into us, and he gets us running again wonderfully, beautifully. God didn't choose you because you were so talented, powerful, or smart, or me. He chose us because we're not. Because he has a work to do. He has things he wants to see done. And he knows that we can't do them. People can't do them. Anyone operating in the natural cannot do what God wants to see done. It has to be done in the spiritual. And that involves God. We have got to work with God. We have got to allow God to work through us. To work with us. And when we're talented, and when we're really good, and we're really strong, it's hard for us to let God work through us. Interestingly, paradoxically enough, in our moments of weakness, when we're suffering through a sickness, when we're laid up with an injury, when we're going through all kinds of awful situations, our finances aren't where we want them, that's when we're more apt to turn to the Lord. I can't do this. I need you to help me. And that's when God comes and floods in and takes care of everything. And once it's taken care of, thanks God, I got it from here. And we end up in another scenario until we get it figured out. (laughs) Let's just stay dependent on God. Let's understand who we are. It's okay. It's okay to admit that we're not smart. Not compared to God. 
We're not strong. Not compared to him. We're not wise. There's just not a lot we can do. Not better than him. So let's let God work through us. Through our regrets. Through our mistakes. Through who we are. Let's let God work through us. He chose you because now he can work more powerfully and more perfectly through you. Amen. Let's all stand. The plan of God has always been to work through imperfect beings.